Youth is the hope of our future, according to Jose Rizal, the Philippine legend. What is the state of mind in the pandemic? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We've been locked down or under restrictions since March. We're all impacted, but there appears to be some changes to the well-being and mental health of young Canadians, according to the latest Abacus data study. While they are dealing with the stresses that come with the pandemic, it seems to have opened their eyes to other issues facing society. Mental health concerns, financial worries, and the recovery are all on their minds. Coming up on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll talk to a number of people about the results and the impact. Oksana Kishchuk was the lead for this study for Abacus Data, and she joins us now. And Oksana, how much has the views changed of young Canadians since Abacus took their, their, their uh, temperature back in, back in May? Yeah, so uh, so back to, actually it was back in September uh, that we completed this study with some Canadian youth, so just a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we found was that uh, young Canadians are kind of um, they're doing they're doing all right um, right now. However, there's kind of a lot of impacts that are up on the horizon for them that are something that we should probably be a bit concerned about. Uh, we asked some of the same questions last year about how young Canadians evaluate their own lives if they think things are going good, if they think their relationships are good, their mental health, things like that. And some of the biggest changes that we saw um, is regarding mental health. So uh, compared to last year, um, we found that uh, 54% of youth said their mental health is excellent or good. And this time when we asked young Canadians, it was 46%. Uh, so it's a, a bit of a decline there. Um, and when we ask about how, how they kind of think their lives are going, that's also dropped as well. So a bit of con- concern on the horizon for, for the mental health of young Canadians. Now, you, you mentioned impacts on the horizon. What kind of impacts are you looking at here? Yeah, so a lot of uh, what we also asked about was was how young Canadians see sort of this event kind of changing the trajectory of their lives in the future. Um, we found that close to 90% said that, first of all, the impacts on their generation will be a bit different than older Canadians. So uh, as you can imagine, these are people that are going to school in a pandemic. They're doing online classes. These are people that are graduating amidst a pandemic. Uh, They're trying to find part-time jobs to support their education, and they can't. They're trying to find jobs post-graduation, and that's also a bit of a challenge. Um, And we found that actually half of of the people that we surveyed are are actually rethinking kind of how they thought their future would go. So half of these people are rethinking their future career and half are rethinking their plans for education, which I think is a pretty big number um, in terms of how young Canadians are really seeing this shifting their future plans. Where where has the pandemic affected them the most? Um, So I would say that uh, like I would think most uh, older Canadians, it's on the ability to kind of connect with uh, those around them. So we asked um, whether or not the pandemic sort of impacted their ability to stay in touch with family and friends and and impacted their social networks. And we found that even though young Canadians are supposed to be kind of like digital natives and have a really good handle on technology, that in-person socialization is, is really important, whether it's at school, um, whether it's with friends and family, things like that. And that's uh, something that we really found is sort of triggering that mental health impact. I find that interesting because you, you, you would figure young people, like you mentioned them being digital natives or online all the time, you would <laughs> figure they would still have that connection, but it's that personal connection that they're missing. Yeah, yeah. That was something that was really interesting to me and that like, 
these people are supposed to be like on Facebook, on Instagram, TikTok all the time. We think that that's how they kind of communicate with their friends anyways. Um, but the pandemic has really impacted their ability to stay connected with uh, loved ones as well. And I think that sort of extends to their ability perhaps to stay connected to their family, to their grandparents, um, to just people in their community. We're just seeing a lot less of people being stuck at home. And I think that that's having an impact on young Canadians too. And we can't forget that. Now, did you uh, take a look at uh, the breakdown in terms of gender and uh, racialized groups? Yeah, yeah. So we looked a little bit about um, kind of different demographic groups. And something that really sort of stood out to us was the impacts faced by uh, young Canadians who are sort of part of what we call marginalized groups. Um, So those who identify as being part of a racial or ethnic minority um, are facing greater struggles with those social connections and with their mental health. And overall, they're just a lot more concerned about what their sort of future looks like. And, And we saw the same thing with youth from lower income households as well. So uh, these young Canadians are also feeling more lonely and disconnected. They're feeling more stressed about their futures. So I think that this kind of goes to show that um, young Canadians in general overall are impacted. But what we really need to understand is that those who are already sort of facing struggles and maybe being on the, at the fringes and not really being included in these kinds of activities are the ones that are most impacted. Oksana Kishchuk is joining us in the Unpublished Cafe. She is uh, a consult and the lead for the study from Abacus Data, taking a look at the uh, mental health of young Canadians in the midst of the pandemic right now. And, you know, when you look at, th- at their future or when you talk to them about their future, who was who the most pessimistic uh, about what's what lies ahead for them? Uh, so it's actually those those groups that are already kind of marginalized mm-hmm. and, and not having a lot of opportunity. So I think that that... Um, a lot of the opportunities, again, like had said, to to go to school, to to get a job, to kind of have a bright future, um, all of those are kind of on pause and up in the air at the moment. And so youth that already weren't sure about what those things would look like are, are even more concerned about now, what is it going to look like? Um, so I think that that's kind of one of the most important things that has come out of this research is that there are a lot of supports and a lot of the organizations we worked with on this study support these kinds of youth, um, but they're not maybe not as able to access these kinds of programs right now. And so just being able to kind of keep a focus on that and make sure that youth are able to kind of stay in touch with those supports and kind of level the playing field to make sure that young Canadians who are from lower income households or are from racialized groups are able to kind of access the same kinds of opportunities in the future because we know that they don't feel like that's uh, the case at the moment. Well, the, the pandemic is obviously the the key stressor for for young Canadians. What else is stressing them out? Uh, so yeah, that was something else that we had sort of asked about. Uh, we know that the pandemic has certainly been kind of top of mind for a lot of us right now, but there's been a lot of other things in the news um, that have happened sort of since uh, back in March. And so there are certainly other issues that are on the minds of young Canadians and. We asked sort of about what else are you concerned about and and what's growing kind of concerns for you. And a lot of things, almost everything is um, also a concern. There's lots lots to think about as a young Canadian. Um, We found that over half of the people that we surveyed are concerned about the financial stability of our society, are concerned about racial inequality. They're concerned about uh, the impact of socioeconomic status on the ability to get ahead. Um, They're more concerned about climate change. They're also more concerned about gender inequality. So all of these kinds of things are sort of creating a bit of a snowball in a bit of a way. 
And I think also that um, the pandemic has sort of been a, a focal point about perhaps um, not all of these issues, but some of these issues. One of the other questions that we asked was, do you think that the kind of issues that we're seeing bubble up in our society have anything to do with the pandemic? And 50% said that the pandemic has just exposed these kinds of inequalities that we're seeing in our society. So I think there's a really interesting relationship between kind of all that's happening and, and what young Canadians are kind of taking away from that. And they're looking for uh, a head to a recovery as well. What would they like to see in a, a recovery for the Canadian economy? Yeah, so we tested kind of a couple different concepts. So one thing that uh, young Canadians really want to see is something that focuses on the long-term impacts. And that kind of circles back to the issues that they're kind of seeing culminating in society. They want um, a solution that focuses on those that already weren't able to get ahead and making sure that the playing field is sort of leveled. So people who are low income, on families and on youth as well. And in terms of sort of specific policy points, they're really interested in kind of those health focuses. So helping the healthcare system get back to capacity, uh, funding for mental health services, affordable housing, and lots of income support. So uh, very aware of the specific issues that uh, Canada and the world's kind of facing overall and, and really looking to see some action on those big files. Oksana, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Oksana Kishchuk is a consultant with Abacus Data. She was the lead on this survey. While the study shows that this far into the pandemic, young Canadians are doing okay, there is an impact on the family and society as a whole. Nora Spinks is the CEO of the Vanier Institute of the Family, and, and she joins us now. And, and Nora, are there any surprises to you in this report? Um, not really. You know, we've been tracking week over week, March. And there have been ups and downs. There have been gains and losses. There have been joys and heartaches. And I think that as we continue to monitor how families are coping, adjusting, adapting, we are going to see that there are a lot of things that families are benefiting from and some things that are going to take a while to adjust and um, correct. All right. Uh, in terms of what where families are benefiting, where, where do you see that in, in your study? Well, we've been following families around what they're doing, how they're thinking, and how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that has been pretty clear from back in April and May is that families are reporting that they're having more meaningful conversations. In part, that's because they don't have to worry about logistics and who's going to pick up and who's going to do this and who's going to do that um, because we're pretty tight on our comings and goings these days. So more meaningful conversations is important. Families are spending more time both quality and quantity time together in most cases. Families are, um, if you're anywhere from the top end of low income right through middle income, there are financial benefits to not having to pay for transportation or childcare and those funds are being redirected to paying down household debt, 
to RESPs, education savings plans, or retirement saving plans, or into TFSAs. So the low-income families are still struggling, and largely because of their um, employment situation, not because of COVID. Now, the employment situation may have been impacted by COVID, but what we've seen and what has become really clear is that what COVID has given to families as a system and what COVID has given to every other system, justice system, healthcare system, child welfare system, education system, early learning and childcare system, long-term care, is that every single system has had its strengths and equally its weaknesses magnified, amplified, and intensified. And we need to look at both sides of that equation going forward to determine how do we keep and build on the strengths and how do we resolve and minimize the weaknesses of each of those systems, including the family system. When you look at this report and, and how young Canadians are feeling today in, in what we're dealing with, uh, the pandemic, and then all the other things that they're obviously more aware of now. What what's the long term effects on them? Are they just more aware of the world, and and they be able to see things, or are we looking at even more mental health issues? Well, I think there are a number of angles to look at young Canadians from, and and we've been surveying children and youth um, as well during COVID, and certainly there is an increased level of anxiety based on the uncertainty. So what's the future going to bring? And whenever there's uncertainty and instability, you're going to see an increase in anxiety and fear and concern. Um, Young people are not able to imagine themselves in school whether it's a um, apprenticeship or a college or a university, they can't imagine themselves starting a career or uh, forming a union. And so that sort of uncertainty is uncomfortable for people. So mm. once you become comfortable with the discomfort, then you're able to say, okay, if I can't, if I can't imagine what it will be, let's imagine what it could be. And we are going to see the impacts of COVID for decades to come. If young people are unable to form attachments and form unions in their 20s, will they be ready to start having children in their 30s? If not, that has massive implications. And one of the things that's clear is that young people who are in committed relationships, who are at the point where they would normally be starting to have children, are either delaying or deferring that decision. So if they were, for example, expecting to be pregnant in 2020, uh, they're going to delay until 2021, or maybe even longer. Or if they already had one child, and they've been in, um, in isolation with that one child, say a toddler, um, for the last eight or nine months, the idea of adding a second child at this time for many 
is just not possible, not within something that they want to consider. So either they're going to decline and say no more kids, or they're going to defer for another year or two, assuming that there's still enough biological runway for them to make that decision, Hmm. which means that they're not going to age out of reproduction before that opportunity presents itself again. So when we think about um, that, so let's just imagine that this month, this city was expecting 12 or a thousand pregnancies. And we now see that there's only 400 pregnancies. We're short what we had anticipated. That's going to be only 400 out of a thousand who are going to need maternity benefits. Four years from now, kindergarten. 20 years from now, post-secondary. Just snowballs. These changes will have an impact for a very long time and impact all of our other systems. Early learning and childcare. If nobody's getting pregnant, nobody's going to need childcare. If nobody's in childcare, nobody's going into kindergarten. So what do we do to sort of adjust for this cohort going forward? And how much of this will stick? So if you haven't had children but you've watched your friends struggle in isolation with a toddler or two or four or five school-aged children, will that um, lead you to the decision that you won't have any children? Hmm. And that was happening anyway, but will COVID magnify, amplify, intensify that behavior or that trend? Nora Spinks joining us in the Unpublished Cafe. She is the CEO of the Vanier Institute of the Family. As we talk about the Abacus data survey, looking at the attitudes and impact of the pandemic on young Canadians. And, you know, from your perspective, how the federal and provincial governments responded to the issue of young Canadians' mental health in this pandemic? I think there is a high level of awareness of the negative consequences of COVID on the health and mental health of everybody, children, youth, young adults, adults, seniors. I think there is a good considered effort being made to ensure that service providers, whether it's um, healthcare, family physicians, whether it's mental health service providers, whether it's nurse practitioners, uh, even faith leaders who people often go to when they're um, seeking assistance, that they have the tools necessary, the information, uh, the supports that they need as caregivers, therapists, um, to help people get through the anxiety, fear, the depression, to deal with the mental health as well as any mental illness that might either result from or be exasperated by um, the living, the disruption as a result of COVID. Nora, I want to thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure.
Nora Spinks is the CEO of the Vanier Institute of the Family. When you take a look at the results of this survey, there appears to be some shifting in the younger cohort. Kelsey Beeson is the Operations Manager for Children First Canada, and she joins us now. And Kelsey, this survey looks at 15 to 30-year-olds, but does break down uh, youth into groups. And the 15 to 17-year-olds have the biggest decline in how they feel about their lives. Why so dramatic for them compared to the older teens? Um, so you're asking specifically about the 12 to 15 year old dad, just to make sure I'm clear. Yeah, uh, 15 to 17. The 15 to 17 year old. Um, so I think that young people are really feeling the social isolation associated with um, COVID realities, and we're seeing um, a big impact on their mental health as a result. I can understand the mental health, but why why is it so dramatic for that young group as opposed to one that might be, uh, you know, say 20 to 25? It's a really good question, Ed, and um, I actually can't answer it well, to be perfectly honest. Our survey looked at 12 to 17-year-olds specifically, mm-hmm. um, and we did know that there were differences in the age groups, but something that would be of a lot of interest would be to dive into the question you just asked a little bit more to try to understand those variations. It, it seems young people are, are losing their, their, their optimism. When, when we look at these studies. And, and what's the impact on society when young people do lose their optimism? Yeah, well, I think that the thing that we're most concerned about is a, a lack of civic engagement and a lack of desire to be involved. Um, one of the things we noticed in this study is in, in children who have families that elicit their opinions and feel like their opinions are important, there was actually a correlation to them feeling more hopeful about life. Um, so when we think about big decisions being made for children, big decisions being made for family by policymakers, and we think about including them in those decisions, what the hope is is that it will lead to more civic engagement, more hopefulness, more optimism about the future as a, as a nation. The mental health issues are on the rise. You found that in your study as well, did you not? We did, yeah. We Not only did we um, see some, some mental health themes come out in this study, but we also did a, a report called Raising Canada 2020 back in September, um, where 56% of children told us that their mental health has been uh, worsened uh, since COVID-19 started. You know, I find it interesting. A lot of them find that they're feeling isolated, yet we're looking at the you know, the, the age group, the cohort that's, you know, lived and born with a, with a cell phone in their hands, and that's the way they've been communicating yeah. most of their life. So I, I kind of find it kind of strange how they feel isolated, yet they've, you know, they're on their phones, they're on their iPads, computers, whatever. And is it, and we mentioned this earlier, is it that, that sort of touch, that personal feeling that they're looking for? Yeah, so it's a really interesting observation, and I, I hear what you're saying also as someone of an older generation. I uh, I am also a little bit surprised by it, but yes, and, and when I when I root myself back into developmental theories and thinking about how children develop and what's important in that development, um, like you're saying, that human contact, that touch, so to speak, is incredibly important, um, especially in teenage years. Children become, or their friends become the center of the brain focus in the teenage years. It's one of the main developmental tasks is to figure out who do you belong with and who do you not belong with as a teenager. Um, And it it would appear that um, the phone maybe isn't just quite enough and that that human touch is really important. You know, when we we look at uh, young people and and their mental health issues coming out of the pandemic, you know, what kind of uh, advice or, or suggestions does your group have for parents to help them get out of the situation? I think 
that the biggest advice we can give to parents is to elicit your child's perspective, talk to them, ask them questions, listen to them honestly about what their answers are. One of the things that we know about brain development is that um, it's just like building a muscle, right? You have to like have certain neural pathways connect in order to get good at something. So if we want to teach young people um, how to advocate for themselves, how to be able to speak up for themselves, um, how to be able to reach out and access support, the more that we give children an opportunity to talk, to share their opinion, to tell us what's going on for them, the more those neural pathways connect and the better they get at it. How do you provide young people with hope? It's a it's a great question, and it brought a big smile to my face, Ed, when you said it. Um, I think that we provide young people with hope through connection and relationships and through re- reminding them how valued they are and that they have a lot to bring to the table, no matter what size of body they come in. Kelsey, I want to thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Ed. You have a great day. Kelsey Beeson is the Operations Manager of Children First Canada. And that leads to our unpublished.vote question. Have the federal and provincial governments done enough for young Canadians dealing with mental health issues from this pandemic? Yes, no, or unsure? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. I want to thank our guests, Oksana Kishchuk, a consultant with Abacus Data, Nora Spinks, CEO of the Vanier Institute of the Family, and Kelsey Beeson is the Operations Manager of Children First Canada. And I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.